Hello and welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset. Uh, Sam Bruce here with Christy Doran as per usual. Christy, um, round one of Super Rugby Pacific in the books. We're going to get to shortly, but um, some late breaking news today. Um, look, I think everyone probably realised that this was going to be on the cards. Uh, Brett Hodgson announced as a Wallabies defensive coach. Um, I think we all saw it coming given uh, even before the two were cited alongside one another at uh, Allianz Stadium there on Friday night, just given the situation, how Eddie had hired Brett Hodgson to England and then obviously got the sack himself. You always thought that he was going to be in the running. That's how it's played out. Um, mate, uh, what do you think of the appointment? Yeah, I think people have had time to digest it because, uh, as you pointed out, yeah, Friday night, it's, it's pretty obvious when there's 25,000 people at Allianz Stadium and you can't really miss much when the screens are as big as the ones that are in Sydney. But uh, he was cited a week earlier at the Waratahs' final trial match against a couple of Shoot Shield sides and it raised some more eyebrows. Oh, Brett Hodgson's over there, interesting. Uh, so it was probably pretty crystal clear that that, was the direction that he was going to go in. Did he owe him one? Maybe people have thought that. But at the same time, others have said, well, Eddie Jones isn't the sort of person that's just going to pick someone because he owes them. Um, do I think that the appointment is a, a good one? It comes with a bit of risk. And that's my first gut feeling about it. This is a guy that's not coached at any form of rugby level let alone international rugby and to do it in a world cup year that's quite the uh you know it's quite the throwing the someone in the deep end isn't it um there's it's going to potentially like defense coaches they are so important in the modern game where you see often blitz defenses methods to try to counteract that what happens with brett hodgson who knows um long term whether or not he even stays in rugby but he's got a two-year appointment so this isn't just a, a quick thanks very much we'll, we'll try to get through this year and see what happens two years so there's a bit of security there for him oh, big big high stakes though like you farewell to a guy like Laurie Fisher who's had 20 years in the game at, at a professional level uh, to, to bring someone in like a Brett Hodgson I think it, it it is risky but we know that Eddie Jones has a strong affiliation and attachment to rugby league players and, and he's another one yeah, a couple of mates have, have already reached out to me saying, look, I, I don't really recall Brett Hodgson as much of a defender. He was only a little bloke there at the back for uh, the West Tigers and and I think Parramatta uh, before that. Um, New South Wales origin, I think he played a, a couple of series and is probably best remembered for being the guy who was dragged, uh, ragdolled, I think was the uh, the expression from Ray Rabs Warren over the touchline by Gordon Tallis. Um, which of course has been turned into a uh, that audio uh, remix of uh, by um, a gentleman on on YouTube uh, with uh, Rabbi's best work. So look, there's going to be some question marks out there. I agree, um, but we know that defence is so much um, about organisation and structure these days, as opposed to just technique. When you think about just technique, then you would would have thought that yeah, well, a guy like Peter Ryan would be you know. Uh, the man for the job, given he was a, a noted tackler and just a, a wonderful, um, you know, a guy who could really nail that that low chop tackle and, and other tackles as well during his prime in rugby league. And then, of course, in, a, I think, two years with the Brumbies. So anyway, interesting to see how that all plays out. Uh, but at least Eddie has finally got someone among his support staff, right? Like it's uh, he's running out of time. He doesn't seem to be too 
concerned about it. There's been uh, obviously talk around Beric Barnes joining as a skills um, uh, coach or consultant and also Scott Wisemantle coming back. Do you believe that Wisey is being convinced that he will return, I guess, in a, a little a shorter term role that will be concentrated on at weeks at a time rather than perhaps uh, being a full-time member of Eddie's staff? Well, I tried to pin Andy Marinos down on that last last week when interviewing Andy Marinos. I think it was on a Thursday morning now, and he he made it pretty clear that at this point in time, at the very least, he's not being considered as the attack coach. He's a consultant. He'll come in at times. He'll be a bit of a sounding board for Eddie Jones. Um, whether or not that changes going forward, who knows? It, it may well, and it might not necessarily be this year, but. Um, we know how tight they are. We know how respected Scott Wisemantle is. But it does raise the question around, well, if you're going to have someone like a Brett Hodgson come in who's really inexperienced, you're probably going to have to have someone who is very experienced um, to, to be there. You know, even a, a Beric Barnes has very little coaching experience, um, pedigree there in, in that. We know that he was a a quarterback kind of figure for the Panasonic Wild Knights for quite a while up in the J- Japanese competition, highly regarded, really nice Aussie Ocker kind of bloke, mm. isn't he? He's, he, he? He's the sort of person that I think will make those around him um, happy. He's just got an infectious kind of personality about him. Um, but he, And he also has the experience of making his debut in a World Cup. Yep. And, and that's something that I think in the modern era, young guys being able to relate to a coach like him could be very beneficial. But it, it, it does bring up who, who's going to be the forwards coach now that Dan McKellar's resigned. He'll go join Leicester. Um, will it be uh, an Aussie local coach? Is it a foreign coach? The same with the attack. Is there someone like a Chris Whitt- Whittaker who comes into the mix? Um, even a Darren Coleman, who's highly regarded as an attack coach. Uh, lots of questions. Um, Dan Palmer still is a scrum coach. Do you want a forwards coach who's a specialist there? There's still a lot of questions to be worked out, but what we do know is that Eddie Jones on May 1 wants to have his coaching team assembled, which is interesting because it's almost a month after the Wallabies are having their second training camp of the year. Um, And the last time there was a whole bunch of different coaches. This time the coaching team might not even be assembled at this point in time. So Time's not necessarily running out, but it, they're up against the clock at the moment. So I would think that Eddie Jones will want to have at least another one or two appointments done in the next two weeks. It's a nice segue, I think. Um, something just popped into my head. Uh, you and I were both at Allianz Stadium on, on Friday night for what was a pretty um, you know, good occasion, I think, for Australian rugby. 25,076 there for the, the Waratahs' return, of course, spoiled by the Brumbies, who were fully deserving of their victory. Uh, now, if we just jump ahead, we're sitting in the press conference post-match and um, after both coaches, sorry, uh, Waratah's uh, captain and coach, Jake Gordon and, and Darren Coleman had been in. Uh, Max Jorgensen comes in, who we'll come to in a second, but also Jed Holloway. And as that went on, um, Jed came into the conversation a little bit more, first talking about Max and then talking about the match and how he thought the Waratahs had been smashed at the breakdown. They were on the end of uh, a couple of, Key turnovers when they were starting to get on a bit of a roll. Of course, they dropped a lot of ball. We know that. But the Brumbies really tore in and attacked their breakdown. And his comments were, that's what you get from a Laurie Fisher coach team. Mm. Uh, Having worked, having had the experience with Laurie 
I think certainly on the spring tour last year, did he join in the back half of the rugby championship maybe as well? Yeah. Um, he really gave off the impression that this was a coach who'd made a huge impact on him as a forward uh, in his early dealings with him. Now we know Laurie was also let go by Eddie uh, last week, or certainly he told his services weren't required. Um, I think uh, the Lord's comments were that he was disappointed not to be continuing, but would, would get on the job with preparing the Brumbies forwards as best he could. And he'd certainly done that last week. Yeah, you're not wrong. Oh, oh, there's a part of me that goes, this is a shame um, that someone like a Laurie Fisher, who's been involved in the game for so, so long, has dedicated his life to rugby, to teaching, he's highly regarded. It's a shame that he's not going to be able to finish off his career with the World Cup. But then again, rugby and sport's not about sentiment, is it? It's cutthroat. And for whatever reason, and, I, and having spoken to Laurie about it, he said, we're going to have to ask Eddie why he didn't want me. And for whatever reason, the two of them haven't necessarily clicked, I would think. Um, and they don't, I don't know if they necessarily even know each other that well, but Eddie Jones knows enough people in Australian rugby um, Laurie Fisher has coached enough people in Australian rugby for a coaching philosophies probably to have uh, been well-sourced and thought of. But you're right, the, the Brumbies were great in that area, particularly in the second half, the Waratahs started to get some ascendancy. And then every time you thought, okay, here they go, if they get one here, they might be unstoppable, particularly with the crowd that starts to get worked up. But we saw the shortcomings of the Wallabies last year, really, with the Waratahs there. Like the attacking breakdown is so, so important in, in modern rugby, and we've seen it with Argentina every time they've managed to beat New Zealand. It's because New Zealand's ball has been completely disrupted. Uh, we, we've seen that with Malcolm Mark and the Springboks clamping down. It's so, so important. The initial tackle and then straight on it. That's a big work on... Did the back row really click for the Waratahs? I'm, I'm not sure, but there was lots of different moving parts, new guys back into it. I thought Dave Parecki struggled short of a gallop. Michael Hooper comes back into it. Uh, Lockie Swinton just probably finding his feet. Guys like Lalakai, Fichetti hardly played. Izzy Parisi hasn't had a minute. So you could understand not everything quite working. And to me, it played out on Friday night with a bit of a clunky performance. That's it. That's how I read it. What, what did you think? Yeah, I agree, Christy. I, I think back to, was it... Um maybe uh, late in that first half there and they were hard on the attack and, and Dave Parecki gets a ball that, you know, you would expect him to catch 99 times out of a hundred. Um, really no excuses to drop it. We know it was warm, but it wasn't, you know, it was stupidly warm and, and sticking hot. So the, the sweat was, um, you know, unmanageable. Um, that stood out. I mean, Will Harris came on and, and dropped a couple of balls and gave away the back-to-back -back penalties, which certainly gave that the Brumbies that breathing space they needed there. Um, to kind of pull away again after, as you mentioned, the the Waratahs is starting to threaten. So, yeah, look, it wasn't, you know, absolutely horrific performance by the Waratahs by any stretch of the imagination. They were still in the contest at the the 60-minute mark. Um, but you always felt the Brumbies maybe not were in control but weren't really worried about what was coming their way. I think they always thought that they, they had the upper hand. Um, I thought Nick Frost, um, to me, just keeps getting better with every game he plays, doesn't do anything. Well, can do some flashy stuff that we've seen with charge downs and regathers. But the other night he was just put the ball under the wing, um, carry at the line. It might've only been one or two meters at a time, but um, he, he must've been right up there in the, 
the ball carrying stakes, um, just their ability. And, and Darren Coleman even said it, I think, in the post-match presser again around, um, look, they don't do anything flashy, but when they've got the big boys running at you and and Valentini just hitting it up in midfield and he was particularly key for that try that, that Corey Toole uh, scored, which I'm sure another player we're going to come to in a second. Um, he uh, he got them over the game line. The speed of their recycle was just that little bit faster that Andy Muirhead was able to get on the outside uh, of, I think, of Lalakai Fakedi, find that offload to cool to, to, cool to Corey Toole and uh, Corey did the rest. So, yeah, look, a, a good start from the Brumbies, I think I've, Potentially, we all got a little bit caught up in the Waratahs' hype themselves. Now, that's not to say that this is not a team that can go on and and find their way to um, to a top four spot um, on the basis of what we saw the other night. But they clearly are going to need to be some improvements. And the big one uh, yesterday confirmed that that Angus Bell um, is going to be out for an extended period now, potentially the whole season. Super rugby season, it sounds like, with a, um, a recurrence of that injury from last year, is is just devastating news for the Waratahs. Yeah, and, and speaking to the Waratahs forwards coach today, Paulie, and I can't pronounce his last name. Uh, Demopio. Thank you very much. Uh, you, you'd, you'd be all over that being an East boy. But um, he, he he was pretty pumped up at the, at the point in time when Angus Bell and the Waratahs did a bit of a job on the Brumby scrum. They won a penalty and then you could see it. We all looked at each other going, oh, dear, Angus Bell's not getting up. And he kind of was on the five-metre line struggling to get up and looks pretty despondent about it. That's a that's a huge injury because it's not just at the scrum, the set piece, but he he's we saw him. He's a tank in the middle. He takes a number of guys to get him down. We even saw the pop pass up to Max Jorgensen to score yep. what was a fantastically taken debut try. And we'll get to him in a moment. But he's a huge loss, a catastrophic loss, because not only does it now put him six months further back down the line in terms of his experience. We, it, we've got to remember he's 22. He's so young. He's an infant, but he's just got such a big body and we could see how as excited he was about, you know, he's just re-signed for Australian rugby for another four years and then yeah, a pretty crushing blow to know that he's not going to take part in any rugby. He only played a couple of tests last year and, and clearly made a quick comeback in time for the Bledisloe second one across the ditch, but we saw that he was short of a gallop. And I, I can't imagine that Eddie Jones would rush him back at all. There, there won't be any hurry. It'll all be about making sure that the surgery goes well. My understanding is that they're contemplating even removing a bit of the bone down there so that this doesn't, doesn't pop up and continue to play his career because he's got such a bright future. It was interesting as well, you talking about the locks uh, and, and specifically Nick Frost. You'd look at someone like the Brumbies and even, uh, sorry, the, the Reds, but even the Waratahs who are probably short a big damaging second rower, yep. but especially the Reds, the Brumbies, how do they keep getting second rowers down there that are not just strong super rugby players, but international players? Because it's not just Neville, it's not just Frost, it's Darcy Swain. Darcy Swain comes from Queensland. Nick Frost comes from the upper shore north line of Sydney. What is it about the talent identification from yep. the Brumbies that goes, well, these guys are athletically gifted. We'll make sure that we turn him into international second rollers. It's a, it's a challenge for all the super rugby franchises around Australia to go get better with your talent identification because there's too many that end up either down at the Brumbies or elsewhere overseas. And it's those sorts of guys. You don't have a, you don't have a powerful second row in, in super rugby. You, you struggle to get in the top three in in the competition and that's the big 
concern with the Waratahs. Now without Bell for the season, do they have enough in that second row? I'm not sure that they do, but they will they'll certainly get better. Yeah, they will. And, and as we said, both teams, um, you know, can uh, probably look ahead more so the Brumbies. Uh, they've got a big game this weekend, haven't they? That's uh, clearly the pick of the the matchups um, at Super Round uh, on Sunday afternoon. I think that's the two o'clock start. So uh, well worth getting along to if you are down in Melbourne this weekend. Brucey, I'm going to ask you the question: <clears throat> Whose debut was more impressive, Corey Tool or Max Jorgensen's? I know a lot of the hype has been around Jorgensen and maybe that's because we are here in Sydney and we know he's um, how he was targeted by the Roosters and, and a couple of other NRL clubs as well. He's clearly got the name. Uh, he was a star for Joey's um, last year. There was even a case of one particular school uh, narrowing the field of play because they were so worried about his attacking threat. Uh, they dropped a, a meter off either side, which when you, you look at it, you think probably that's not a lot of space, but when you've got 15 guys on a field, um, it turns out, um, you know, it, it could make a difference. Now, Max didn't even end up playing that game. So there's egg on the face of that particular school. But um, I will say that I thought Corey Tool was, I thought um, he probably saw a little bit more ball. Um, he was a real threat out on that wing. Um, he, and I think I said to you as we were walking out, he he's one of those guys that when you you look, you watch him play, it doesn't actually, he's moving so quickly, so light in his feet that it doesn't actually look like his feet are touching the ground. He's got that real bouncy, quick stride. Um, you know, he finished that try superbly that he scored. The one that uh, he got called back from, um, which I think you and I both agreed there probably wasn't enough evidence there to to overturn uh, on the video replays. Perhaps um, Matt Leckie was seeing something else that we weren't. Um, a couple of other moments, uh, offloads here and there. So, yeah, and I guess... It, the other thing is that it's also a shot in the arm for this idea that probably went away for a little while about the Australian Sevens program being a bit of a breeding ground for players to who perhaps, you know, miss out on Super Rugby originally, or it is a different pathway altogether. We saw Dylan Peach kind of graduate from exactly the same circumstances last year with the Waratahs, didn't he? Really mm -hmm. step up and he's another guy that's come through that system. So, you know, another big tick for, um, I guess, Johnny Manenti and, and the Australian Sevens coaches, there for, for Corey Tool. Um, and yeah, I thought on the balance of things, Tool maybe just for me, but it was it was line ball call. Like I thought they were both, um, you know, the, the standout talking points of, of the night, weren't they? Yeah, they certainly were. And Jorgensen had the pressure of being one of the people that was on the on the on the on the edge of people's tongues, weren't they? And and people were excited to see Max Jorgensen play. I don't know if the casual supporter who loves the Waratahs or wants to go down and watch the Super Rugby match. I'm not sure how many people would have known Corey Tool, but he was super impressive. And I think both of them are, are Wallabies bolters for this year. I, I can't imagine both of them make a squad, but one of them certainly can, I think, because they've got points of difference. And both of them, at their pace, it looks like uh, Corey Tool can kind of beat you in that phone box sort of thing, whereas whereas Jorgensen is just as as Jed Holloway described him slippery, and uh, you can see that they've both got knacks of finding their way to the try line, and that's important. And and when Eddie Jones speaks about players with X factor, players that scream pick me, we saw those two really take their chances on the on the weekend and. I'm really excited to see how they go because we've seen too many wingers go in and out of matches at times, drop balls, 
go do the inexplicable thing where you go, hang on, how have you done that? You've just been killing it and all of a sudden you've done this. But we saw neither of them put a foot wrong. And in the case of even a Jorgensen taking a, a pretty difficult catch out in the left wing and then managing to flick it back inside in the same movement, just the little things that I thought were impressive. And of course, defensively, Jorgensen wasn't perfect, but we've got to remember he's a fullback as well that had barely ever played on the wing. But we saw him pop up like a fullback with that instinct of the, the bell run off the deck, taking that through, getting out of two wallop tackles. And, and then similarly with Corey Tool, just the innovation, the flick pass out the back. And I, I was I was very, very impressed by both of them. Yeah, I think the interesting thing with with Jorgensen in particular is going to be that he's clearly got some some growing left to do, you would think. He's going to put more bulk on his frame. I think maybe you mentioned that he'd put on potentially four kilos already or might have even been six. Um, whereas you probably think Corey Tool being that little bit older might have reached his um his growing capacity at this point. Um, but either way, you think of other, you know, wingers of that mold around the world. You've got, you know, Cheslin Colby's been doing it for many years now with the Springboks. Um, and a fellow like Darcy Graham at Scotland, who I think has been injured this Six Nations, unfortunately, but again, came through the Sevens program and has just given you that little bit of point of difference on the wing. You know, it's it's not rugby league where you need the big bodies carrying the ball out of defence all the time. That These guys, these smaller guys can have a real impact on the game in rugby. So, um, yeah, going to be fa- fascinating to watch. Hugo Keegan is another one for Ireland, the fullback there, and he's killing it. And he's a pretty slight, slender bloke, but he's doing very well. Just finishing that with the the idea of the sevens players, two guys to to really keep an eye out. And I'm sure a lot of people would have seen a lot of Henry Patterson over the last year. He continues to kill it. We play very well uh, in the Los Angeles sevens that was completed with Australia finishing fourth. But Darby Lancaster, Lancaster, I think it is. Mm-hmm. He he looks a player for the future. Uh, might still be a teenager. Uh, really strong, explosive winger. Um, keep an eye out for him. Yeah, yeah. No, a, a plethora of of young uh, rising backs coming through Australia right now, which is really good. Um, okay, question: uh, Who was more impressive? Do you think was it the Chiefs winning away in Christchurch and, and keeping the Crusaders? Stuck on 10 points from virtually, I think, the, the 20th minute onwards, or was it the Blues going down in Dunedin and absolutely putting the Highlanders to the sword? I will say the Chiefs, because not many teams go to uh, Christchurch and come away with a victory, particularly when they're trailing. Uh, yeah, I think they were more impressive, but you, we've, we've spoken about it. The Blues are just so explosive, and I put it out on Twitter, just like, how good is that Blues backline? Wow, like, you look at it from start to finish, there's all blacks, Finlay, Christie, Bowden, Barrett. Um, you've got uh, Roger Tuovashashek, Rico Ioani, yeah, Stephen Perifetta, Caleb Clark, and then I thought the player of the round, Mark... Uh, Talia. Uh, Talia, Talia. Who, who was incredible. Like, they couldn't bring him down. Uh, the Blues, to me, uh, will they're the minor premiers, I reckon, at the end of the year. They just have the ability to score points from everywhere. But the Chiefs were were great. And I think the breakdown, the battle of the breakdown, in big matches and big super matches or big test matches, it's who dominates the breakdown, really. And that's where the Chiefs were outstanding against the Crusaders. Great to see Brody Vitalik back. Great to see Damian McKenzie back. But great also to see... Sam Kane, uh, he's probably the most vexed all-black captain a long, long while. He struggles to 
holdy spot potentially. Um, there's going to be questions all the way throughout this year whether or not he should be seven for the All Blacks at the World Cup. But he had a great game, and uh, despite a uh, probably a clumsy yellow card in the first half, he was he was outstanding. Do you think we've spoken a bit about already from an All Blacks perspective around this uh, ongoing narrative and I guess debate around how this um, coaching announcement process should be handled, whether it should be left until after the World Cup. That's certainly how Ian Foster wants it. We we feel now that probably that's not going to be the way that the uh, appointment process will be will be open before then. And I guess Ian will have the opportunity to make a case to, to continue on with. Um, we probably feel that that's not going to happen. Uh, on the flip side, he wants to, you know, keep his job um, as long as possible. But can this, all this chat, and I guess Razor being what we think is the heir apparent, or at least one of the top two candidates along with Jamie Joseph, will that be a distraction or could that be a distraction for the Crusaders this year as well, rather than before we even get to it being a distraction for the All Blacks, could this derail a Crusaders team, which, you know, otherwise has looked just about um, unbeatable in the big matches under Robertson in Robertson in recent times that this year with that happening, we know Richie Moonga going off, probably Sam Whitelock as well, playing his last season for the Crusaders. Um, is that a concern for the Crusaders? But they would say in the Crusaders, the most resilient and mentally strong side. That's how they keep winning. Six from as many years under Scott Razor Robertson. But I think you're right. I think it has to be a distraction because even if a decision wasn't to be named until afterwards, uh, made after the, the campaign or after the World Cup, it's the optics. He's going to, if they struggle, or they're not going to struggle, but if they don't win Super Rugby or they don't make the final, people will say, oh, it's because of the distraction. Look, let's be honest. This is a very competitive Super Rugby competition. The Chiefs, the Blues, the Brumbies, and of course the Crusaders, uh, they look red, red hot. And even the Hurricanes, it's, they're going to be very competitive, likely in the top six. So at some point in time, good sides get beaten. Um, but it will have to be a distraction, you would think, because it's the optics. They're going to be asked about it every week. Uh, Robertson's going to be asked everywhere he goes about it. At some point in time, you know, the little cracks start to, to widen. And if there's an injury or two, you would imagine but. When you've got a guy like Sam Whitelock, I thought his absence was it was huge on the weekend because he's just got that calming influence about him. Probably the best at the set piece, particularly at the line out in the world, uh, has been for nigh on a decade. And I'll name drop, but sitting behind, in front of Justin Harrison and Sonny Bill Williams throughout the, the Friday match, Sonny was pretty interested in it because the Chiefs and the Crusaders, two of his former sides, were playing. But I asked them both, oh, who would you take? Sam Whitelock or Brody Retallick, if you could only choose one. And both of them said Whitelock. That's how the measure of the guy, the most destructive loose, um, the most destructive second rower has been stunned for, for Sam Whitelock. So, uh, yeah, but, but good question. And it's going to be intriguing to see how that unfolds. And you can understand why Ian Foster would want there not to be any distractions. But unfortunately, that's not the modern world, is it? You left out one there as well. You got a new best mate, Bo Ryan. Is that correct as well? Or <laughs> uh, it's bizarre when you seem to get someone's mail called Bo Ryan and then you meet them in the flesh, and it's one of the first things that you can say. But yeah, <laughs> a random, very random uh, interaction on Friday too. 
Yeah, interesting to see him uh, working the sidelines for, for Stan Sport. I'm not sure what his uh, rugby pedigree is, but um, nonetheless, uh, a guy who uh, seems to be a bit of a jack-of-all-trades. So, g'day uh, to Bo if you're listening. Um, mate, all right, uh, let, let's jump ahead. Uh, Fiji and Drua, uh, a good uh, last-minute win over uh, Moana Pacifica. We think both those teams are going to be better this year. I think we saw enough in that game to think that that will be the case. Um, we've covered the Blues, uh, the Reds and Hurricanes. Now, um, this this is a pretty ordinary start from the Reds, wasn't it? Uh, they were in the contest in the first half, but then really just had no answer to the Hurricanes' uh, ability to to really win turnover ball and then expose them um, in quick uh, succession after that. Um, their reaction time, I think they they struggled as the, the match went on, had a couple of yellow cards there as well. Um, and and a worry for for Brad Thorne uh, that they got exposed, you know, both through the middle and and on the fringes. Um, I guess uh, young Tom Liner uh, kicked his goals well. There was a nice little moment when he doubled back to to scoop up a loose ball. Um, but he's uh, he's clearly going to be, you know, it's going to be a crash course in in Super Rugby, particularly given he barely played any uh, first grade at all. I think last year in Brisbane's Hospital Cup. So. Um, They've got some injuries. We know that the Reds uh, and on the back, I guess, of, of Taniela Tupun news last week, um, that confirmation that he is in fact joining the Rebels. Um, this rounded out a, a pretty ordinary week for Queensland rugby. Yeah. And there's no two ways about it. And if you're the Queensland Reds, obviously you're harnessing all the, 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 the chat from off the field and those that are saying you, you're, you're pretenders. Uh, and you've got to harness that and you've got to, got to go, well, you know what, we're Queenslanders, we're going to stand up. But you're right, d- defensively, they'll caught out. And it's just that New Zealand ability against Australian teams, particularly to, to uh, when you get an inch, take it and go back to back and really turn the screws. So the Reds were in that first half an hour, even the first half, they managed to come away with only being trailing 16-13 at half time. And you thought, like, they just managed to get through that. but discipline you could understand ryan smith just trying to get away with the cheeky cheeky nudge but there isn't a an all black that goes down more than geordie barrett like he's on the deck every every time that there's an opportunity he's on the deck and i can understand it in the modern game trying to get yourself a penalty but it happens and he makes he's a big big presence and he makes sure that 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 referees can see that, but it's it's silly from him. And similarly, Sarah Uru, I think it was the commentary team up there that said, if you're in that position, don't don't give away a, uh, don't collapse or go around the side because you're going to get ten minutes as well as conceding the the, the rolling more try. So it was it was pretty stupid there from the Reds at times, but defensively they were brutally exposed. Um, particularly, I think, at six and and probably in the second row as well. Liam Wright's absence was a really big one. Um, I think Tate McDermott, he didn't have his best game. Kicking-wise, he wasn't great. Probably tried a little bit too hard at times. Um, and we didn't see enough from centres, drop balls being spilt uh, clumsily. And, and then when you see half an hour, an hour later, Hamish Stewart, have one of his better performances in Super Rugby and really stand out, um, that would have been another, you know, bitter pill to swallow, I, I would think. They, they, they've got a crunch game this this Sunday against the Force. It rounds out Super Rugby, but whoever 
if the Reds were to go down there, there's huge pressure on on the Brad Thorne and the Queensland Rugby Union to make a decision sooner rather than later because players and coaches and uh, rugby fraternities, they like to know what's going forward so that futures can be settled because sometimes the coach and who's going to be there can actually influence what's going to happen next year for player retention if you're trying to attract players as well as keep players. Well, Christy, let's come to that and, and focus on Taniela Tupu a little bit um, after last week's news. Um, there's a belief among Queensland rugby fans that there's a particular agent um, where there's been a complete breakdown with the Queensland Rugby Union and this particular agent who has now been, who has now managed a number of clients who've gone elsewhere. Now, that's the nature of, I guess, um, your job as an agent is to get the best deal possible. And if that is, if they say they want the most money, then you direct them to where the most money is going to be. Um, that's clearly not the vision of, of a lot of Queensland rugby supporters for this particular agent. Um, is this a failure of the Queensland rugby union's um, recruitment and I guess retention of its best talent? Um, is there just a complete, uh, is it a one-on-one -on -one breakdown between this agent and, and Brad Thorne? Um, what is the situation there? And, and I guess, um, do you think more will follow? Good question. Uh, Taniela Tupo is an interesting one because he's a guy that you don't want to lose. Headline act, biggest probably name uh, in in Australian rugby at the moment. A guy that's global, like the highlights reel was out of this world. But I, I think he was going regardless of who the player agent was. And Sometimes, you know, people will blame Brad Thorne and the Queensland Reds for losing Tony Alatupo. It actually might be the making of him. And we've seen James Slipper, Quad Cooper benefit from probably departing there. And let's hope that's the case with Tony Alatupo. Did he plateau, perhaps? Did he feel comfortable, perhaps? Does he need to be challenged? Yeah, I'd say he does. And He's going to go to a Rebels environment, which notoriously hasn't always worked out well for big-name players going down there. But he will know Nick Styles well. He's going to be paid very, very well indeed. And it's now time for him to look in the mirror and go, what I've dished up over the last year, year and a half, is not good enough. Do I want to be the world's best tight head prop? Yes. And, and does he have the capacity to do that? Absolutely. But it's time for him now to go, I've got to take some personal responsibility and stop perhaps being the goof and looking for the laugh and actually start making sure that I live up to my reputation and the, and the million dollar plus contract that he's now going to be sitting on for the next two years. So big responsibility for him going forward in regards to the wider issue of a number of players leaving underneath the, the, the advisory nature of, of Anthony Piconi. Look, I, I think, at some point in time, the Queensland Reds do need to have a sit down with him. And I've heard from both perspectives, I can understand different positions, but at the end of the day, Queensland needs to be able to retain its best talent. And if a lot of it is underneath a particular player agent, well, they're probably shooting themselves in the foot, I would think. I know that there's reasons for them to have taken the position that they have, but the end of the day, it's business as much as it's sport. And I would think that they need to extend an, an olive branch, get back to um, ensuring that the best talent is, is stays in Queensland because too, too many players are, are, are leaving and, and not enough 
will come back. I, I think, you know, even guys like Isaac Lucas, you know, he's a Queenslander, families in Queensland. He's the guy that I would be encouraging to come back. Um, and we've seen Isaac Rodder go. Uh, we've seen Harry Hawking. He's a really talented player too. There's other guys. Um, it's important for, for Queensland that, that they'll continue to have more and more talent come through, but you don't want to always lose them, do you? Absolutely not. Not if you're a Queenslander, that's for sure. Uh, you mentioned Hamish Stewart and, and the force there getting a, a win, a comeback win over the Rebels. Um, yeah, I, I think a, a pretty good game from these two teams, really, um, given what we we might have been preparing ourselves for. But um, a, a first up win for for Simon Cron, that'll be huge for him, particularly after a couple of fairly indifferent trial performances. Um, Rebels on the flip side, not um, anywhere, you know, not completely disgraced at all. They They led. Um, got out to a good start, but but couldn't maintain uh, that advantage. So, look, yeah, uh, promising that they're clearly going to um, face much bigger, much greater challenges along the way this season than each other. But um, I guess, you know, from a wider Australian rugby perspective, it was a, a better game and, you know, a few quality performances in there to to really take notice of. Yeah, it was, it was quite an enjoyable game to watch. It was, it was you could see it unfolding quite early in, in that second half where, the Rebels just couldn't get their hands on the ball. Like they opened up a big lead and they shouldn't have lost that game. And Simon Cron had spoken a lot about mindset in the last wee while, uh, the last few months, really. It's been about mindset. And we saw Western Fourth side win a match where historically they don't win that. They, they might get close and they find a way to lose. But on this occasion, Jeremy Thrush back into the picture for them after Isaac Rodder's a foot injury and he comes up with the match winner. They hold on. It was a it was a gutsy character building performance. Well played. Um, I thought Bryce Hegarty showed his experience at times, putting the ball on the toe, playing a bit of field position, calming them down. Uh, we saw Hamish Stewart play really, really well. I think the back line, the combinations will get better. Great to see Tony Pullo back out there. He's had a Injury riddled couple of years, particularly, but he's got pace and an ability to beat the first man. Um, I thought, I thought um, Tom, uh, the replacement hooker, the former Waratahs hooker, Tom Horton was yep. was excellent. He's come from nowhere, a guy that spent some time at Leicester, only ends up at the force because of uh, Winchester ends up, I think, retiring after another injury, gets a call up and. He probably didn't think he was playing. And then Flyanger pulls out and he's on there and he gets on the field pretty early. And he had a great game. Um, but the Rebels do, they let slip that one. And they've got to ask themselves the question why. And for me, it, they just didn't have the ability to get the ball back in the second half. Why? Is that game managers? Is it just an understanding of how do you change the course of the game when you're not able to get your hands on the ball or how do you get it back? And I thought there was probably a few too many individuals in that second half guys looking for the big shot rather than, and I look at guys like Pone Farmacili, um, Trevor Hosea had a shocker second, you know, it's his first match in a long, long time. And he's given away two penalties and completely needless pushing guys away. Um, just silly mistakes from probably someone trying to assert themselves physically on the game get back to the basics because it was those sort of small things that proved so costly for them. The positive was Ryan Lawrence looks great in the first half and his combination with Carter Gordon looks pretty good. And, and Gordon played well without being able to turn the screws in the second half. So that's a work on for them, but 
um, a big game for them and it's a big week for Melbourne rugby now. They're going to host Super Round for a second straight year. They'll want more fans. Uh, people understand. People know that rugby is being spoken about, including Victorians who would have been able to see the effect, the impact of Eddie Jones over the last six weeks. So there, there, there's no excuse for Melbourneians not turning out and supporting those, those series of games, six of them uh, this weekend. Yeah, they'll suggest there might be some AFL practice matches on. But um, anyway, uh, we hopefully there'll be a better crowd than, than last year. It was pretty disappointing last year. And I think, um, you know, in the end, it all comes down to money in which um, Australian state government or if, uh, you know, New Zealand government or the mayor of Christchurch, perhaps one day down the track or Wellington, now that New Zealand or Auckland, now that they don't have a, a sevens tournament anymore, we might see it go over there or we might see it binned altogether. Who knows? But um, certainly, uh, if you you want to watch some good rugby this weekend, then, then Melbourne is the place to be. Uh, all right, mate. Before we wrap up, um, I guess the, from my experiences and talking to people, um, my mates, social media, um, friends and family, that the the trial law variations seem to be um, pretty well received across the board. I think everyone felt that there was less time being wasted. I think I probably even noticed it in working there at the stadium on Friday night. There was just those few little seconds less in time for making notes or working as you do, tapping away, uh, and you look up and the play had already restarted. So that's got to be a positive. Um, we haven't had the ball in play figures just yet. I'm awaiting for those to come to me on on email. So they'd be interested to see just where they were at for the weekend. But it did. It just had that feeling that they were, we're seeing more rugby here um, I, I think I was saying uh, to you earlier off air that there was um, an average of 73 points um, per game uh, this time around, as opposed to, I think, about 43 um, uh, last in the corresponding round through five, uh, when there was only five games in round one last year. So, yeah, look, is certainly a good starting point anyway for these trial laws that um, in the end we know it's an entertainment business we know you know it's it's not going to be test rugby and this isn't going to be replicated probably at the international level to this degree but um, if Super Rugby Pacific wants to be a success in, in this market then then surely this is a good starting point yeah I don't I think there was just more urgency. Like, let's not just continually talking and the little huddles on the way to a, a line out or uh, it, it just seemed like there was, let's get on with it, which I really liked the approach. Uh, did we see too many differences in the law? We, we didn't get really the yellow card, red card, um, too many things where you could debate too much. The subjectivity didn't really come into it too much. So I'm curious to see over the coming weeks when there is a, a tackle that goes wrong or a bit of foul play, do we see how many how many camera angles do we see and 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 what the process is is it upgraded to red do they err on the side of uh, caution or leniency on the field and then go hard or off the field those sorts of things I'm quite fascinated by but uh, yeah you, like those stats are quite compelling like a lot more points is that because the reds were struggling for gas and then they're caught out like they, well, they did struggle at the set piece big time and we saw in the hot conditions with the humidity the hurricanes really run right i think it's you're spot on it's a, it's hopefully is going to bring the fatigue back into the game right like in particularly in the second half we saw it in, in sydney as well that that game opened up um probably about five or ten minutes after half time um that uh you know with these just these i guess having not having 30 seconds here or there you know that adds up to 
three, four, potentially in some very slow games, five minutes of rest that players aren't getting, right? So um, we want to see more ball in play. We want to see the fatigue. We want to see, you know, little guys like Corey Toole, for instance, um, in open space and running against broken defensive lines and um, being able to skip into the backfield and, and 50, 60, 70 metre tries, God forbid. So, um, yeah, I, I think that'll be the big thing for me that if, um, you know, and that, that was certainly the case in, in Townsville, as you mentioned, wasn't it? That um, the Hurricanes, when they got that turnover ball um, and the Reds just couldn't um, sustain their defensive um, line uh, or, or even get it organised in response to those those counterattacks that came from from the Hurricanes that, um, yeah, they were, they were far too clinical and, and uh, really exposing them on off turnover balls. So uh, I'm, I'm intrigued to see if, if that continues or, you know, like all, you know, before we read too much into stats, it was only week one. So uh, we'll see what happens in Melbourne this weekend. It might be sleeting in 12 degrees yet at Amy Park. So, um, or we could get all four seasons in one weekend as, as is the Melbourne way. So, but I, I just, uh, yeah, I, I certainly felt it. I think you're right. The the word is, was urgency. Um, and if urgency results in, in more fatigue in the game and, and less, periods where blokes are taking a knee to do their shoelaces, then then that's got to be a good thing. Good luck uh, in Suva with the urgency. I can imagine that there's going to be a few big bodies sucking in the big ones. So that, that's the real test. Those sorts of places, um, uh, that'll be fascinating. But they're going to have six games up there, Fiji, and I thought they were loose at times um, and and they gave away way too much ball. But Fiji will they'll cause one or two upsets along the way up there. And and from an Australian perspective, hopefully there's not too many involving these sides uh, from down under. Indeed. All right, mate. I think that's a pretty good wrap from the weekend for round one. Uh, are you making the trip south? I will be, yeah, on Friday morning and looking forward to it. It it's, it's promises to be a really good weekend. Uh, great opportunity for uh, the Waratahs, the force to build on from, from where they were. But oh, I think the Reds, I just have the suspicion that the Reds will bounce back from that quite well. Uh, they're a better side than what they showed on the weekend. And I'm really intrigued by this blues Brumby side. And, and even, even where, like, load management, whether or not, Rugby Australia or the Wallabies or Super Rugby coaches decide. You know what? Against the Blues, are we going to are we going to beat them, or should we have one player maybe skip this one so that they come back and we ensure victory a week later when you come up against the Queensland and Canberra, for instance? So all those looks of permutations will be fascinating, but that's the game I'm looking forward to most Sunday afternoon. Uh, but it, I think it kick starts with the Crusaders and Highlanders on Friday before the Rebels play. So. That'll be a good run. Every time there's a New Zealand derby, it's a, it's, it's a really fun game to watch. So looking forward to that. I'm disappointed to learn you're not going to be coming down from my understanding. Yeah, a bit of a shame, mate. Uh, there's other budgetary constraints this year, uh, which for me pertain to six weeks in France. So um, I'll uh, I'll have to uh, skip this weekend uh, in Melbourne, but I will be watching on in earnest via uh, Stan Sport while um, while also shopping for a, a secondhand uh, bigger car, uh, which is my big um, task this weekend, which I'm already looking forward to right now. All right, mate. Uh, thanks again for your time. Have a great weekend in Melbourne. And uh, yeah, we'll wrap it all up again uh, this time next week. Everyone enjoy Super Round and uh, we'll talk to you then. Cheers. Cheers.